Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. My guest today is Chris Wark. He has been on the show before, but he has a new book coming out in a couple of weeks, The Beat Cancer Kitchen, and I hope you'll get it because it looks amazing. I don't have my copy yet, but I did pre-order, and he's going to show you what it looks like. And he's going to talk a little bit about what foods are good for people that are trying to beat cancer or maybe just not get it in the first place. Please welcome back Chris Wark. AJ, it's so good, good to see you. So this, good is to your be third, with you. this is your third book, right, Chris? Third book. Well, that's yep. pretty good. Three times a charm. So why not a bestseller? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They just happen to be on display right behind me. Yeah. Well, we talked about your second one, which I'm going to show in a minute, which is like a devotional, which I love. I keep it by my bed and I love it because you can just open it to any page. You know, you don't have to like read a whole book and it's always inspiring. Today, when I opened it, it talked about courage. So I have my boss hat on for you. So I, I mean, everybody in our space probably knows your story, but people could find this video that might not have heard about you. So maybe you could just briefly tell your story of healing from cancer. Yeah, the, the short version uh, and the long version is in my book, Chris Beat Cancer, <clears throat> but um, the short version is I was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer when I was 26 in December 2003, and I had surgery. They removed the tumor and some infected lymph nodes, and I was told I would need nine to 12 months of chemotherapy, but I made a decision to uh, not do chemotherapy and instead to radically change my diet and my whole life in order to help my body heal because I came across one man's testimonial who had healed advanced cancer uh, by changing his diet to a raw plant-based diet with juicing. And I thought, wow, like if this guy healed, maybe I can heal. And uh, and I, I real, I had, to get, I got really clear on what I believed to be true, and I, I decided to follow my beliefs, <clears throat> which is that I believe the body is uh, designed to heal, and then we're created to heal, and uh, that cancer is a result of an impaired immune system, essentially, and uh, overwhelming toxicity, not just environmental toxins, food toxins, and even toxic thoughts and emotions, and when you have the epiphany or the revelation that I did, which was that the way I was living was killing me, that empowers you to change your life, right? Because you take responsibility for your problems and you realize, okay, I got problems. I'm not going to blame anybody else for my problems. I'm not going to let myself be persuaded into victimhood uh, that there's nothing I can do to help myself. And it's all my problems or someone else's fault or just bad luck. And so I, I embarked on this sort of healing adventure uh, that was rooted in the belief that I could get well. And I was very clear about what I wanted to, why I wanted to live and that I did want to live. That's pretty important. So some people have a death wish, you know, a secret death wish. And they're every day, they're just basically killing themselves slowly with their choices. And, um, so I, I found a, a support system, an integrative medical doctor, a naturopathic doctor, and other practitioners to help me along the way. And uh, day by day, week by week, month by month, I got better and better. And, and then about five, so six and a half years after my diagnosis, I was 
all clear. And I started chrisbeatcancer.com just to share my story. I didn't have any plans on it taking over my life. I just thought, man, I've been through this crazy thing and I survived and I learned a lot and changed my life. And I think that's the reason I'm still here. <laughs> it's because of the decisions I made that helped me survive. And I think other people should know. And, uh, and, and after about five years of just doing that as a part-time passion, making videos, interviewing other survivors and experts and doctors and writing articles, it, it just finally kind of snowballed and took over my life. <laughs> so I wrote my first book in 2018, Chris Beat Cancer, and then uh, last year published Beat Cancer Daily Devotional. And then in two weeks, a Beat Cancer Kitchen hit stores. Here it is right there. A full color cookbook that my wife and I wrote together, and it's all plant based. There's raw and cooked recipes, and I've just—I mean, my audience has been begging me to do this for years. You know, give me recipes, recipes, recipes. And so there's two sections in there. There's the sort of hardcore healing recipes, the things that I ate every day, and that we encourage people in our community to eat. Uh, and then there's the recipes for prevention, which is a little bit more broad and more fun, but it's still all whole food plant-based. And so, yeah, here we are. I'd love at some point, if you can maybe even open the book a little bit and show a couple of the photos. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So like, oh, this is the, this is the section of mains. And then like, we've got, uh, so let me see, let me get to a good section where it's like, uh, right here, let's see. So like this, how about this roasted, roasted rainbow carrots with, uh, with broccoli sprout pesto. Mm, that looks beautiful. Right? Yeah. You hear a lot about broccoli sprouts these days and the sulforaphane and cancer protection. Yes, absolutely. Broccoli sprouts are an incredible anti-cancer food. Here's Ethiopian style beet and lentil salad. Uh, let's see. Why this one I love blood orange and macadamia nut salad. That, those the photography is beautiful. It is. It's absolutely beautiful. Our friend Justin Fox Burks did the photography and we're just super excited. I mean, this the recipes we, we've all made them. We we they're delicious. They're easy to make. There's no uh, you know, there's no dehydrating <laughs> involved. There's no really complicated uh, raw food recipes or anything like that. It's really easy, delicious whole food uh, recipes. And we, we borrowed from a lot of our favorite cultural uh, flavors, Indian, Cuban, uh, African. Uh, and so there's just a, a sort of a broad variety of flavors and it's great. Wow. And Mandy wants to know what your favorite raw recipe is in the book and maybe what your favorite cooked one is too. Well, my favorite raw recipe is going to be the giant salad because that's what I ate every single day to help my body heal. And um, what I realized back in January 2004, as I was <clears throat> trying to navigate nutrition, anti-cancer nutrition, trying to understand what, what are the most potent anti-cancer foods, right? And how, how can I eat them, right? And I just decided I wanted to eat the most potent anti-cancer foods every single day. I didn't wanna sacrifice right? And, and eat something that wasn't as helpful, right? Because every meal you have a choice, right? You can eat 
junk food or you can eat healthy food. And even on the healthy food spectrum, there are specific foods that are more anti-cancer than others. And so the giant salad is, is mostly cruciferous vegetables. It's broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage, uh, and then onions, garlic, mushrooms, uh, and um, sauerkraut, which is, of course, a form of cabbage. And then lentils like sprouted mung beans or sprouted lentils uh, or uh, chickpeas. And then lots of anti-cancer spices, uh, curry powder, turmeric, uh, garlic powder, uh, cayenne pepper, oregano, and uh, apple cider vinegar and a little olive oil. And it's just an incredible, savory, spicy, just delicious salad. Absolutely delicious. And so that became my default meal for lunch and dinner every single day because I realized this is the most potent meal, period, in, in terms of diversity and anti-cancer nutrition. And so, of course, that recipe is in the book in the anti-cancer section, uh, cancer healing section, I should say. And uh, so that would definitely be my favorite raw food recipe, but there's some other good ones, good ones in there for sure. And then cooked food, I shared this on um, on the Chris Beat Cancer blog uh, last week, but we have this um, African stew that is just absolutely amazing, just delicious. And it's made from sweet potatoes with cashews. And uh, it is just so, it's like a comfort food and it's savory and a little spicy and got that sweetness of sweet potatoes in it it's so good i'm trying to i'm trying to flip to the page so i can hold up a picture of it here uh and i don't even know my cookbook that well to know which page all the recipes are on because there's 125 recipes in here um but yeah that's that's one of my favorite uh cooked recipes it's just every time my wife makes it i get so excited i'm like oh yes i love this let's see if i can pull it you up know, it's here. been almost 20 years since your diagnosis yeah, 18 years in December. That's amazing. Well, congratulations. Are, are you in touch with any of the people originally that diagnosed you to say like, hey, I'm still here? <laughs> no, no. No, the the one oncologist who I saw one time uh, and told me I was insane if I didn't do chemotherapy, he, he left town somewhere else. I never went back to see him. The integrative oncologist that I worked with for years, he passed away because he was an older when I, he was in his seventies when he was helping me. And that was almost 20 years ago. And, uh, the, the naturopath that I worked with is still here. So he's obviously still glad I'm around. <laughs> I'm alive and kicking. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, now it's, you know, it's the tables have turned because I've taken everything that I've learned and I'm, I'm just paying it forward and just trying to be a light in the dark for people who are, you know, they're, they're feeling lost and confused and hopeless and helpless. And they don't they don't know what they can do to help themselves. And so my <clears throat> job, if I have a job, is really to help anyone who is looking for it, first of all, but help them understand that your body can heal and there's things you can do to help yourself heal. Your choices matter. What you put in your mouth matters. What you put on your body matters and what you think and how you behave matter. And every day you're sowing seeds 
of health or disease, and you will reap a harvest. The harvest is coming, and it's going to be a harvest of health or a harvest of disease, right? Just based on your choices. And so that's good news, right? Because that means you really can dramatically change your future with the choices you make each day, just making simple shifts in your daily routine. And that's really what Beat Cancer Daily is about. That book is just making simple shifts each day to keep to stay on the healthy path. There's an entry in that book um, that's that basically is called Point Your Ship Toward Healthy Island. And this is something we talk about in our community a lot is like, you know, you have a destination, right? It's Healthy Island. That's where you're trying to get. It's where you want to go. And you can't get there overnight. Every day, you've got to make sure your ship is pointed toward Healthy Island. And sometimes you get knocked off course, right, by the storms of life, but you can always right the ship right? You can always put it right back, right? You get the compass, right? You point your ship toward healthy island. And so healing is a daily journey and it just involves making changes to your life and being consistent, right? And sticking with those changes. So here's that recipe that I mentioned earlier. It's the collard and cashew sweet potato tagine. And you can kind of see that there, but it's just it's got kale in it, lemon, apricots, sweet potatoes, cashews. It's just, oh, it's so good, of course. And then like anti-cancer, especially anti-cancer, uh, ginger, serrano pepper, garlic, and onions. So we really were very deliberate about all the recipes having some of those really important and potent anti-cancer nutrients in them. So garlic and onions are, are huge, at the top of the list, really, of anti-cancer foods. Peppers are way up there. And then, like I mentioned earlier, the cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, cabbage, bok choy, Brussels sprouts, even horseradish and wasabi. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of savory and spicy flavors in the cookbook that we love. You know, it's interesting is you were 26 years old when you were diagnosed, and that is before you would normally even get a screening for colon cancer. Yeah, they don't recommend screening until you're 45. They just reduced it to 45. It used to be 50, but uh, young adult colon cancer is one of the fastest growing cancers. It's becoming one of the most prevalent, and it's not, uh, this is not, there's uh, random it's because our diets have gotten so bad. <laughs> Colon cancer is a cancer that's driven by diet. Meat and dairy are the major contributors to colon cancer. And when you look in, at around the world, there are countries and regions with rates of colon cancer that are almost non-existent, like Sub-Saharan Africa, the rate of colon cancer is 50 times lower. And, and researchers have, have done numerous studies on these people on people in sub-Saharan Africa, on the Africans. And what they have uh, identified as the major contributors to colon cancer that are absent from the, the, can, uh, the African's diet are animal protein and fat. That's the one thing missing from their diet that is what they call aggressive dietary factors towards cancer promotion. And then there was another study called the African Diet Swap, where they took rural Africans, different group of researchers, they took rural Africans and they took African Americans, 
and they swapped their diets for two weeks. So they put the African-Americans on a, a diet that was like corn and sweet potatoes and collards and just, you know, whole foods, both, mostly plant-based. And then they took the Africans and they put them on a diet that was like, you know, uh, burgers and fries and pizza and milkshakes, right? Barbecue, whatever, that kind of stuff. And within two weeks, both groups had dramatic measurable shifts in their intestinal bacteria and in inflammatory pro-cancerous markers. So just two weeks, right? It's crazy. Just two weeks can, can dramatically shift your digestive tract to being healthier or more prone to disease. So that's good news and bad news, right? But the good news is, is, that, is that you will start to experience physical benefits from changing your diet within literally, literally within just a couple of weeks. That's, I mean, that's incredible. Here's an interesting question I see for you. Let's here it is. It's from Sherry. Uh, can you tell us what your symptoms were, or how did you know you had a problem even then to, that you were diagnosed? Yeah, symptoms of colon cancer are for me, and this these are not uncommon symptoms. But I was having a dull pain, you know, sort of a dull aching kind of pain in my abdomen that would come and go. So it wasn't constant all day. It didn't feel like gas pain. It was just different, and I. It was sort of a it was sort of a vague uh, pain where I couldn't say it hurts right here. Like I couldn't point to it. It, it felt very deep, uh, and you know you don't have a whole lot of nerves in your uh, digestive tract like you do in your muscles and in your skin. And so when you have pain in your digestive tract, it's it's hard to put your finger on it literally because of the nerve structure in there. But um, so that was one thing. And then there occasionally there would be like maybe a little sharp pain that I would feel. That would come in, you know, just randomly. And then uh, I had some dark stool, right? So blood in my stool. So if you're having very dark stools, um, that's an indicator. Now, if you have a little blood on the toilet paper, that's not necessarily, uh, you know, a lot of people get these little micro tears around the anus sometimes. And when you wipe, there's a little bit of blood. And so I wouldn't freak out if there's like, if you ever have that, it's not necessarily a colon cancer, but more of the dark stool and um, and pain. So <clears throat> I would I want to encourage everybody if you're 45 or older, you can go get a colonoscopy, your insurance will cover it. And um, if you have any polyps, they can snip them off right there in the procedure, you don't feel anything, there's no pain and those polyps will never become colon cancer. So it is it's very it's, it's very unusual or unique, in that it's a highly preventable cancer. If they catch it early, they just snip off a polyp. Right, it's not. It's e easier than having a, a, a lump lumpectomy. Right, much easier. So, um, yeah, get get a colonoscopy, have them check you out. If there's a polyp, they'll snip it off, or multiple polyps, or whatever. Um, I I think they should start doing them at 25, right? Because <laughs> I got colon cancer at 26. So, uh, not that it would have prevented mine. It might have been already too big at, at age 25, but still. Um, they would catch and prevent a lot of young adult cancers, people in their late 20s, early 30s, or even early 40s, um, if they did colonoscopies for younger people. And you could still get one. So if you have family history of colon cancer and you're younger than 45, you can get a colonoscopy and your insurance should cover it. So that's, those are things that are, that are good to know. 
Do you have a strong family history of cancer in general or colon cancer in particular? I didn't at that time. I didn't have any family history, but maybe five to seven years after my diagnosis, my mom's brother, it's my uncle, uh, got colon cancer. He's still alive. They caught it early, so that's good. Uh, and then uh, I guess, let me think about the timeline here. Maybe 12 years or so after my diagnosis, my dad was diagnosed with colon cancer and his was uh, stage two. So he had surgery. He didn't have to have chemo. Um, so I, again, there's, there's some family, it wasn't history because I was the first one to get it. Right. But there is definitely colon cancer on both sides of my family. Having said that it is one of the most common cancers. So even if you don't have family history, don't assume you're not, you, you can't get it because it's, the second or third most common cancer, right? Depending on if you're looking at men or women. So uh, it's very, very common and it's largely driven by our diet. Again, this diet that's really high in animal protein and fat that is high in processed food, junk food, all of these, all these toxic food additives that they're putting in fast food, processed food, whatever, and a diet that is deficient in fruits and vegetables, in phytonutrients, in vitamins, minerals, enzymes, antioxidants, fiber, prebiotic fiber, and starch, and all of the thousands of anti-cancer molecules that are in plant food, that are only in plant food. There's a section in the cookbook where I talk about uh, how meat and dairy, how animal products uh, promote cancer growth. And, um, because this is a, you know, it's a, it's a question that I get a lot, you know, the animal protein cancer connection. And I can touch on that if you want me to, I can kind of just talk about the different ways that animal protein fuels cancer growth. Well, I would love it. I'm also curious, your uncle and your father. So when they got diagnosed, they, they had your story to look to, did they do the square one program and get on board? My uncle did not. <laughs> uh, my dad, did. He did uh, change his diet and his life, but he also was uh, in the, he also had Parkinson's. So it was really hard for him to maintain and stick with a healthy diet because, you know, when you have Parkinson's, your brain is not functioning right. It, uh, it really, for him, it affected his short-term memory a lot. So he did, uh, he did make some big changes, but he had a hard time sticking with them. And as the Parkinson's progressed, uh, it, it really affected the way that he, you know, that he just sort of operated for lack of a better word. You know, it's like your operating system gonna gets corrupted and people with late stage Parkinson's become uh, sort of stuck in a loop and uh, become very rigid. And eventually they, did, they, they don't wanna do anything. And so it's very hard to help somebody in that state. But anyway, I helped him as much as I could. <laughs> and really the most important thing to my dad uh, in his last few years of life was just quality time with me. So it wasn't like, I mean, I just, it was, it was obvious to me that it, it was not a good idea for me to be over there trying to force feed him healthy food that he, did, he didn't want to eat. Uh, it was better for me to just be there with him and spend time with him and yeah, yeah. so. Well, that must've been very difficult. I, it was it was hard in the beginning, but you know, then I just accepted it and it was fine. 
That's great. Well, yeah. your uncle, you, that's so interesting. Is your uncle doing okay though? With he's his doing finances? fine. As far as I know, he's again, they caught it early and he's doing okay. He's alive and oh, living his life. Well, good. You know, uh, Elizabeth says, uh, do you still have colonoscopies now? Yes. Yeah. I'm supposed to get them, uh, every two years. I was just now told every two years, but the last time I had one before I had one this year. And before that they said, come back in five years. So they've changed their recommendation for me. Uh, and they said, oh, they shouldn't have told you five years. They should have said, come every two, <laughs> I don't, whatever. That's just typical, like medical, uh, you know, misinformation and miscommunication. But anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to have them about every two years just to make sure everything's good, so. Well, you know, I think I've had a lot of GI doctors on the show and I think a lot of times people's resistance to the colonoscopy is the prep is so difficult for many people. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, you're supposed to drink this solution that makes you um, have diarrhea. Explosive diarrhea. <laughs> yeah, yes. And uh, you, you drink it the day before, and then you're supposed to drink it again the morning of. And um, my best advice there is drink it really early in the day. Like when the last time I did it, they said, you know, the thing that you drink is easy to drink. It doesn't even taste bad. It's just a little bottle and you drink it and it has some kind of fruity flavor or something like almost like Gatorade doesn't taste bad, easy to drink. And then, um, uh, and, uh, they say like, finish it by 3 PM or something, which I did. And, but I was up all night with diarrhea, like all night. So my advice to anyone is I would drink that thing in the morning, <laughs> right? So that you can finish the diarrhea at, before bedtime. <laughs> And you can get a good night's sleep because I kept having to get up and it's not like there was anything left to really come out, but I would just have to keep getting up and going, going to the toilet with the urge. So that might be a little bit too TMI for some folks, but, but it's important because people need to know, like, you know, that that's what they're going to get into. Yeah. Get... And you know, there's other things you can do. I, I fasted for a day. You have to fast the day before a colonoscopy. Anyway, that's probably another reason people avoid it because you, you're not supposed to eat anything and you can, uh, you can drink clear liquids. So they don't want to miss a day of eating, right? But I went ahead and fasted the, a day before that too. So I had very little food in my system anyway. And then I did some water enemas just to, just to clean things out. So that's another way you can, um, you can help yourself is uh, just the, the whole point of it is they just want it to be clean in there so they can get a good look. Yeah. Have you heard of that thing where like you could swallow a camera and they can look that way? Uh, yes. Like the camera pill. Yeah. I, I heard yeah. that. I mean, I wonder like how that would be, wouldn't you would still have to do the same prep? I don't know. I've never done it. It's never been suggested to me and it, I, yeah, I don't know exactly how that works. Uh, what's required. It sounds interesting. Well, Alexis says, what do you think of Cologuard? That's probably something they don't recommend for you since you have had cancer. I'm guessing. Cologuard is an, a non-invasive at home colon cancer test kit that is not 100% accurate, but it does have a fairly high level of accuracy. So any person could do that relatively inexpensively. Uh, again, you just take a poop sample and you mail it in from home, Cologuard, and it checks your, they check your, um, your poop for markers of colon cancer, for blood, for cancer cells or whatever. And um, yeah, no, it's it's definitely a good option. 
But the thing is, uh, with a colonoscopy, if there's a polyp, they can snip it off, right? You might have a polyp, and the coligard is not going to know. So if you have active colon cancer, the coligard test will probably catch it and tell you, like, there's something going on in there. But um, again, I, I just feel like the colonoscopy, it's, it's really not that big a deal. It's, again, it's one day of drinking clear liquids. Yes, you got to have diarrhea to clean out your colon uh, before and then you go in and they put you to sleep and uh, and they do the procedure and you wake up feeling really good because they give you propofol (laughs) (laughs) so it's like you know you wake up feeling like ah that was like the best nap i've ever had so um anyway wow did you feel your diet was really that bad before your diagnosis or was it just the same as everybody else's yeah it was the same as everybody else's which is bad (laughs) right the standard american diet is a diet that promotes disease look around look how much heart disease cancer diabetes autoimmune disease we have in the united states it's dietary driven so we've just been conditioned and grown up in an environment where animal protein is everywhere meat and dairy are everywhere because we live in a rich nation and we have giant factory farms and giant food factories and food is just everywhere right fast food convenience food processed food junk food it's on every street corner right and so to us that's normal but if you travel the world you'll find yourself in especially in third world countries emerging nations you'll realize that these cultures they're not eating much meat and dairy at all because it's a it's a it's not subsidized by the government and it's expensive to eat animals. And so the cultures with very low rates of cancer and low rates of heart disease, diabetes, and lots of chronic diseases eat plant-based, right? Not because they want to be vegetarians or vegans or, you know, they want to be cool. It's because literally plants are inexpensive, right? It's cheap food, beans, rice, corn, leafy greens, fresh fruit. It's, it grows, they can grow it cheaply. It's cheap at the markets and it's widely available in a lot of countries like you know, Southeast Asia, like Cambodia or Laos or Thailand, for example, or the Middle East or Africa. So just by default, uh, cultures that eat high plant-based, of course, most of China, the non-industrialized parts of China. Uh, yeah, they, they have much better health better longevity, lower rates of a lot of these diseases. So that's what we want to try to emulate, right? Just trying to eat more whole foods and more plants. And uh, if you're concerned about preventing cancer, yeah, this will only help you. If you have cancer, eating a diet that's plant-based and exercising and reducing your stress, these are things that will help you survive and thrive. They will lower your risk of recurrence. They will increase your odds of survival. This is what I talk about in my books and the science, there's a lot of science behind it. And if you want to prevent cancer, it's the same thing. These, these practices reduce your risk of ever getting cancer and you can never be a hundred percent cancer proof, but you through your daily choices can put yourself in the lowest risk tier, right? In the lowest risk group. That's a good place to be. I agree. Here's a great comment from Dee Dee who's watching live. Yes, the colonoscopy prep is the worst, but cancer is even worse. Yeah, it's right. 
cancer is way worse than a colonoscopy, right? Way worse. <laughs> you know, we talked about animal products and processed food and, and they have no fiber. And I think fiber is really important to, to the colon, to the microbiome, to everything. And I didn't have colon cancer. I had what they call pre-colon cancer. And even though I was vegan, I wasn't eating any fiber. I was eating just processed food. But people always seem to think sugar is the problem. Sugar feeds cancer. Where do you go with that? Very common question, and it's it's a misunderstood idea. And the reason is, I mean, you know, it's like a meme, right? It's that's been repeated over and over and over. Sugar feeds cancer, sugar feeds cancer. But the reality is, is that cancer cells use sugar for fuel, but they also use protein and they use fat. So you can't starve a cancer cell by eliminating sugar and, and doing a ketogenic diet, for example. It doesn't work because cancer cells will flip enzymatic switches in order to use fat for fuel. So if you starve a cancer cell of sugar long enough, they will start using fat for fuel or glutamine protein for fuel. So it's a simplistic idea that is sort of, it's just based on the fact that they use glucose in PET scans to light up cancer cells. Well, it's true that cancer cells absorb sugar faster than other cells. And that's why they light up on a PET scan. But <clears throat> it's not, if the secret to healing cancer was just having no sugar, then, uh, you know, we wouldn't have cancer anymore. <laughs> you know, it's just not that simple. So my approach, uh, and, and let me just say this, people also, because of the sugar feeds cancer idea, think that fruit is their enemy. And fruit is wonderful. Fruit contains wonderful anti-cancer compounds, anthocyanins in berries, for example, or elagic acid. There's so many incredible antioxidants, enzymes, vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients in fruit. The fruit is good. Nobody gets cancer from eating too much fruit. Now, white sugar, not good. Corn syrup, terrible, okay? So you wanna, you wanna avoid processed sugar for sure. But don't be afraid of fruit. Uh, you're getting so much benefit from fruit. And if you look at the US, we're not eating any fruit. We're not eating any vegetables. Like we're just eating a bunch of processed food and fast food. So fruit's not the problem. In my approach, so to, to close the loop on this, it wasn't to starve the cancer cells, right? It was to give my body an abundance of nutrition, the widest variety of fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, herbs, and spices, plant food that it could use to repair, regenerate, detoxify, and heal. So I wasn't just trying to kill cancer, right? I was just trying to supply my body with the ammunition that it needed to kill cancer, right? And the main key here is your immune system. Your immune system is the reason you have cancer or you don't. And your immune system's the main reason why you get sick all the time, or you don't, right? Why you're susceptible to COVID, right? Or you're not, it's your immune system. And so there are numerous compounds in fruits and vegetables that strengthen your immunity. And so, you know, that at the end of the day is really what, you're, what we're doing with nutrition and exercise and stress reduction is strengthening our immune systems so that we become less vulnerable to chronic diseases, autoimmune diseases, cancer, and infectious diseases. Yep, 
Great. Uh, people are like Lynn are saying, thank you for sharing all the information about the colonoscopy. They thought that was really helpful. Good. I'm so glad. Yep. Yep. So, you know, sugar is one thing, but what about alcohol? Because I read a study earlier this year and I'm trying to pull it up that the risk of developing colon cancer increases with each glass of alcohol consumed as little as 10 grams of alcohol increases your risk. Yeah, that you know, every most people enjoy beer or a glass of wine or a mixed drink or whatever. And uh, and I do on occasion, right? I'm 18 years past cancer. I'm not deathly afraid of cancer. And and uh, but if you drink one drink a day, you're increasing your cancer risk, right? One drink a day. So I don't drink alcohol daily. Uh, I reserve it for special occasions. But yeah, even just as little as one drink a day is raising your risk, it's increasing your risk. And of course, more than one drink per day increases your risk more. That's the truth. So um, it, the, the more you can cut back on alcohol, the better. And it's not just, it's not just colon cancer, breast cancer too, yes. Dr. Weiss said last week. For sure, not just colon cancer. Uh, you know, the number one cause of cancer is smoking. So if you care about prevention or healing, don't smoke cigarettes, right? Uh, uh, tobacco causes cancer. Uh, the second leading cause of cancer is obesity. And this makes people very uncomfortable, right? It's a sensitive topic because 70% uh, of Americans are overweight and over 40% are obese. And we have an epidemic uh, of unhealth, right? Of disease. And it is directly related to being overweight and obese. And the way that, and by the way, I'm not fat shaming. Uh, <clears throat> you just have to understand that um, people who love you will tell you the truth. And I'm speaking the truth in love. And so you just have to understand that metabolically, when you're overweight, when you have excess body fat, those fat cells produce hormones like estrogen that fuel cancer growth. They also release molecules into your body that promote inflammation. They also suppress your immune system. In fact, research from just a couple of years ago found that your immune cells in an obese environment are themselves obese. Isn't that wild? That you're, you just think about your tiny little immune cells are also overweight if you are overweight because they take up free floating excess fatty acids that are circulating in your bloodstream, well, your immune cells take them up and become clogged up, bloated, slow, and sluggish. And this is why obesity is the number one cause of cancer. And it's the, one of the number one highest risk factors for COVID-19, for infectious disease. It's the same mechanism, which is a suppressed immune system. So uh, th that's, are, you know, hopefully people hearing this are thinking that's a good reason for me to really focus on eating super healthy and get the excess weight off. And the beautiful thing is when you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you can stuff yourself with fruits and vegetables and lose weight because fruits and vegetables are uh, nutrient dense, but calorie efficient, not in a negative way. They're just naturally low in calories. Calorie is a measure of energy and your body stores energy as fat. So when you eat, when you consume more energy than your body needs 
for that day, it's going to save that energy for later, right? In the form of fat, that's a survival mechanism. It's a good thing, uh, except when you live in a country where there's uh, unlimited food year round, <laughs> right? And the food is mostly meat and dairy and processed and really high in sugar, salt, sugar and salt. And so that contributes to us naturally without thinking about it, overeating and eating more calories than we need. And then our body stores those as fat. And then year after year after year, gaining a few extra pounds, a few extra pounds. And by the time you look, you know, you turn around, you're like, I'm 10 pounds overweight. I'm 30 pounds overweight, right? I'm hundred pounds overweight. That's how it happens. But um, the beautiful thing is that by shifting your diet to one that's hardcore plant-based, tons of fruits and vegetables, mostly raw is, is a great way to go for weight loss. Again, you never have to be hungry. You can eat all day if you want to, and uh, and you will still lose weight. I mean, I've just seen it over and over again. So that's good news. And even the funny story is my, my cousin was overweight and he lost a bunch of weight and really slimmed down. And, and I, I, don't, I only see him a few times a year. And I saw him, uh, and this was years ago, by the way, but I saw him and I was like, man, whoa, you've lost a, a bunch of weight. Like, what, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm doing Weight Watchers. And I'm like, okay, cool. And he's like, yeah. And, you know, I was looking through the, through the booklet, the manual, whatever, and all the food, you know, all the foods are have points, you know, they have like a point system and you can eat so many points, calories per day or whatever. And he was like, well, I was looking and it was like, I could eat for breakfast. I could either eat a muffin or I could eat a whole pineapple. He's like, so I'll just eat a whole pineapple, <laughs> right? So I'm talking like this, calorie density, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, think about that. Like a whole pineapple, that's a lot of food. A muffin, that's not very much food, right? But there's the same calories, same number of calories. So he kind of figured this out on his own and hacked, hacked his way through Weight Watchers by, you know, f focusing on eating the foods that, that had the most bulk, right? Uh, but the least calories. And it turns out those are mostly plants, fruits, and vegetables, right? So, uh, so it's pretty cool. That's good news. Betty Ann says, if you lose weight, does that decrease your risk of cancer? If somebody already is overweight, again, we're not trying yes. to shame or blame anyone. Chris was one of the first speakers on the Truth About Weight Loss Summit, and he talked about how obesity does increase your risk for cancer, and that this concept of health at every size might not really be true. It is absolutely it. correct what you said absolutely you will reduce your cancer risk by getting to a healthy body weight a healthy bmi and if you google bmi calculator you can type in your weight your height and your weight and it'll tell you what your bmi is you you'll either be underweight normal overweight or maybe obese and it's okay if you're obese don't freak out you know you just have to be like okay this is this is reality this is a wake up call for me. I've really got to get serious about my health. And the thing is, obesity increases your risk for diabetes, for kidney disease, for heart disease, right? Uh, liver disease and cancer. So you, you're removing yourself, removing those risks from your life or dropping them significantly with weight loss. So it's, you know, even more than looking good on the beach, right? Those are better reasons to lose weight. Right. Luis is asking, how does meat and dairy contribute to cancer? Is it just merely the lack of fiber and phytonutrients, or is there something that, special about it? That Glad you asked. Well, there's a number of ways. So uh, the first way 
is uh, saturated fat. It's saturated fat is a known promoter of cancer. Cancer cells like saturated fat. And, and tied in with that is cholesterol. Cholesterol fuels cancer growth. There's a number of studies on saturated fat and cholesterol promoting cancer growth. So you, when you stop eating animals, you're, you stop eating saturated fat from animal sources. Now, plant-based saturated fat sources are not known to promote cancer. So nuts and seeds, avocado, coconut, things like that, don't increase your cancer risk. Um, when you eat meat and dairy, you are consuming IGF-1. That is insulin-like growth factor. That's a hormone. Uh, excuse me, you're not consuming it, but it raises IGF-1 in your body. Okay, And so that hormone fuels cancer growth. And there are really only two ways to raise IGF-1, eat a lot of animal food or eat a lot of processed sugar. So when you stop eating animal food, your IGF-1 levels go down, and that's good because they promote cancer growth when IGF-1 is up. When you eat animal food, you're eating typically an excess, uh, excessive amount of methionine. Methionine is an amino acid that fuels cancer growth. In fact, many cancers are what are known as methionine dependent. In other words, they have to have methionine to survive. Methionine does exist in the plant kingdom uh, in legumes, but it's much lower levels than it is in some animal products. So you are naturally limiting or restricting methionine when you stop eating animals. There's uh, another factor in animal food that's heme iron. So this is the free form of iron that's found in red meat that is rapidly absorbed into your bloodstream. And iron is good for your body. You need it to form red blood cells. Uh, but the problem with iron is your body doesn't have a way to get rid of it. And when you eat a lot of red meat, you eat too much iron, your iron levels go up and you will develop what's called iron toxicity. Now you may not feel differently, but that excess iron causes problems in your body and iron fuels cancer growth. Women naturally shed iron every month until menopause. Men do not have a way of shedding excess iron. So you can actually donate blood to reduce your, your, your iron. Um, but you can also stop eating red meat or cut way back on it uh, to reduce your iron consumption, which fuels cancer growth. Um, there's another molecule. <laughs> You're, now people, whoever asked is like, geez, how many different ways does animal protein fuel cancer? There's a bunch. So there's another molecule called NEU5GC. NEU5GC is a sugar molecule that does not exist in the human body, but it is in animal protein and your body recognizes it, as, uh, recognizes it as a foreign invader and produces antibodies in response to it and inflammation. And it's been associated with inflammatory diseases and cancer. So, uh, so those are, uh, you know, a handful of ways, half a dozen ways that animal protein can fuel cancer growth. And then there's one other way that, and that's in the way that it's cooked. So when you cook meat, uh, you're creating carcinogenic compounds, uh, heterocyclic amines and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. That's a mouthful. But basically, when you cook the flesh, you're creating heterocyclic amines, which are, are toxic carcinogenic mutagenic compounds. And when you cook the fat, you're creating polycyclic 
aromatic hydrocarbons, especially at, at when you cook at high heat, you know, so uh, muscle meat or organ meat. So barbecuing, baking, pan frying, grilling over an open flame, all these different ways. Yeah. So when you cook meat, you're also creating these little toxic compounds. So those are, you know, those are the, the major ways that animal protein fuels cancer growth. And the thing is, there's no, there's no essential nutrient in animal food that is anti-cancer, right? There's no special animal food, uh, you know, meat molecule that you need to heal cancer or to fight it. And there's a bunch that can promote it. So the safest bet, according to the science, is to get animal food out of your diet if you're trying to heal cancers. Go 100% plant-based, which is what I did. And if you're trying to prevent cancer, then you want to aim for eating at least 95% plant-based. Because we know from studies around the world that the healthiest, longest living populations, for example, written about in the National Geographic Blue Zone Project, the healthiest, longest living populations, people groups, uh, eat about 95% plant-based. So that means they're only eating animal food a few times a week to a few times a month. It's a very not, small amount. And they're not eating hot dogs and bacon and all kinds of deli lunch meats, which are the most dangerous. Thank you for bringing that up. That's right. The, the processed meats are known as, uh, according to the International Agency for Cancer Research, processed meat, which is hot dogs, salami, pepperoni, uh, deli meats, uh, of course, like spam, <laughs> one of your personal favorites, I'm sure. Uh, all of those processed meats are labeled as group one carcinogens. That means they're in the same category of evidence as cigarettes and asbestos that they, they cause cancer. Like these foods cause cancer. Uh, red meat is a group two carcinogen. That means the evidence is high. It's a probable cause of cancer, but processed meats, definite cause. So again, uh, more evidence that these kind of foods in small amounts, not a huge risk, but if you're eating animal foods three times a day, your risk of cancer, heart disease, and other chronic diseases is going to go up dramatically. Yeah. So uh, a viewer named LaRoe is watching saying, I guess a relative is being, has cancer and is being fed through an, uh, a peg tube right now and concerned about the unhealthy ingredients. I heard that they do have plant-based whole food feeding supplements now for that. There's a fantastic uh, plant-based feeding tube product called Liquid Hope. And you can Google that. It's made by a company called Functional Formularies, Liquid Hope. And if I had a loved one on a feeding tube, that's what I would give them. I just found it. I knew you would know. I was actually starting to Google it, but I know I had heard Dr. Furman once talk about that. So has anyone expected, found your story? You know, I mean, like somebody that you wouldn't expect, like maybe the American Cancer Society or somebody that, you know, got inspired or helped by your work. I haven't had any major organizations like that uh, tell me I'm great <laughs> or they love my story, but uh, but I have had have, an, have had a number of medical doctors, right? And to me, that's the that's really the highest compliment to the work that I do is when I hear a patient say, "My doctor told me about you," "My doctor told me about your book," right? Or when medical doctors reach out to me personally 
and say, thank you for the work you're doing. Love to connect. Or they come to my talks and, and come talk to me after one of my lectures and, uh, you know, shake my hand and tell me thank you for what I'm doing. That to me is, is the, the highest praise and really makes me feel good about what I'm doing. Cause I'm not anti-doctor. I'm just trying to be a bridge, right? Uh, there's a lot of really good doctors out there that really care. There's some bad ones too. Uh, and I like to remind people that there's just as many bad doctors as there are bad plumbers, right? It's the same percentage. I don't know what the number is, right? But there's bad people in every profession who are selfish and careless, right? And only care about money and don't care about people, right? So, but that aside, there's some really wonderful doctors who really do care and they're, they're doing their best and they're trapped in a system that pays them well, but doesn't give them the tools, the resources, or the education to really help their patients survive and thrive, right? They're, they're, they don't have the financial, financial incentives to spend hours with their patients, helping them change their life. They, you know, you get 15 or 20 minutes. That's the way insurance billing and the medical system is set up that doctors have to see, you know, 30, 40 patients a day to make a living. It's crazy, right? I mean, you're seeing somebody new every 20 minutes. You're trying to keep all this stuff straight. You know, I mean, you just don't have time to talk about anything in 20 minutes. Like, okay, what are your symptoms? Okay, well, we got a drug for that. Here you go. Hope you feel better, right? And so the best doctors that I know are integrative and they spend hours with their patients. They help them change their diet. They help them exercise. They help them identify and eliminate stress in their life and toxic stuff that may be really the real root causes of their disease often are. So um, anyway, yeah, I, I, I love connecting with, with holistic minded medical professionals because they're the real heroes uh, on the front lines that are, you know, they're just one-on-one -on -one with their patients, like seeing their patients get well. Kimberly says you started her on her healing path. And Betty Ann says, well, how do you find a good doctor? It, you got to knock on some doors, right? You have to knock on some doors. So the thing about doctors is you have to, you have to, well, one, a couple ways. One is when you get into sort of the healthy circles, people know people, right? So for example, if you go to the chiropractor and you're like, hey, who's a good family doctor? Well, the chiropractor probably knows one, right? Or the acupuncturist, or maybe the massage therapist, right? Uh, or a, a nutritionist or a naturopathic doctor or somebody at the health food store. So that's the first place I would go and start asking, who do you know? Do you know a doctor that's holistic? Do you know a doctor that is plant-based? You know, And so, uh, of course, you can also Google like plant-based doctor and type in your town, right? Or holistic doctor and type in your towns. Just see what comes up. And then you do have to make some appointments and go and, and talk to these practitioners and get a feel for them and see what they're about and and see if you really feel like, oh, man, this person really does care. They really are, you know, uh, taking a different approach to medicine, which the best doctors are, they're changing their patient's diet before they're putting them on a drug, right? That, that's the, the, the telltale sign right there. It's like you go in and they're not going to be like, you need this drug. They're going to be like, no, you need, to, you need to lose weight. You need to stop smoking. And you need to start eating this way. And that way, it, it first and foremost should be a whole foods diet, but preferably a whole food plant-based diet. And there's a huge, uh, by the way, there's another resource. So the Plantrition Project, Plantrition, 
is a, a, a global network of plant-based medical doctors. And they have a conference every year. I've interviewed the, the founder, Dr. Scott Stoll. I'm sure you know him, AJ, don't you? Absolutely. He's been yeah. on the show. Yeah. And he's just a terrific guy. I love the guy. He's awesome. And, uh, and so through the Plantrician Project, you may actually be able to find a plant-based medical doctor in your area uh, that you can connect with. So that, that actually is probably the, the fastest way to do it. And hopefully, uh, if you're near a major city, there's, there will be one uh, that's not too far. Great. Deborah's asking how old your children are now. And I'm also wondering, are you, are they concerned about them having an increased risk of colon cancer because you had it? And are they doing something about it? I have two daughters. They're 16 and 13. They used to be like little. What happened? They used to be little. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't I, they just all of a sudden they're not. All of a sudden they're teenagers and they roll their eyes at, at mom and dad constantly. <laughs> So, uh, but no, they're both really sweet and, uh, they're doing, doing great. Um, but they're both athletic and they, they are very responsible and they're both making lots of good grades and we're really proud of them, but sure. The, the colon cancer risk, uh, is certainly a concern and we'll probably just right in the next year or two, we'll probably get some testing done, some genetic testing to see if there's any uh, if there's any connection there for them. Uh, and um, I don't know how early we could get a colonoscopy for uh, for my my older daughter, Marin at 16, but maybe maybe one in her teenage years just to be on the safe side. If we feel like it, it's a good idea. You know, they say that, you know, they told me they thought my tumor had been growing for 10 years. Who knows, right? Who knows? But um, typically, uh, cancerous tumors do grow very slowly for for many years until they sort of hit a tipping point, and then they start to double in size, and then they kind of get big fast. But point is, yeah, um, we're definitely aware of the risk, potential risk, and we're going to try to explore that and make sure our kids are not, um, you know, surprised or blindsided by it colon cancer diagnosis in their mid-20s. Yeah. Here's an interesting question from Ginger. What are your thoughts regarding the hormones in milk, cheese, and yogurt promoting things like breast and ovarian cancer, or maybe even other cancers? Well, for sure. I, I, I touched on IGF-1 being this hormone promoter, and there are certainly, you know, there's like 60 different hormones in dairy, something like that, uh, that, that fuel growth. And this is pretty important. You know, if you think about what is dairy, what is milk, right? Well, cow's milk is baby cow growth formula. That's what it is. It's designed to help a, a calf double in size from 60 pounds to 120 pounds to 240 pounds to 500 pounds. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when you consume dairy, uh, you're consuming growth hormones and uh, those growth hormones can certainly stimulate cancer cell growth. So that's definitely something to be aware of. And, uh, you know, dairy, I would cut out dairy completely if you're concerned about cancer growth, right? I mean, the occasional, like, oh, okay, a couple times a month, if you had a little cheese or something, that's not enough to matter. But the, the daily dairy consumption is certainly not a good idea. Uh, so thank you for bringing that up because it, it falls under the umbrella of, uh, you know, how cancer 
I mean, how animal foods can promote cancer growth. Great. Thank you. God, we're getting great questions today. Yes. And also really wonderful question. comments like the one from Mandy, who says she hopes the book will be a bestseller. Me too. That's why we keep posting the link. So click on it pre-order. That does really help if you can order it in advance. And we have a lovely comment from Annette who says, I want to thank Chris. I truly believe God showed me him and square one to survive. I had breast cancer spread to the brain. They gave me two and a half years to live. Then I started square run and Chris, I am now six years a cancer survivor. I was blessed to meet you on the holistic holiday at sea cruise. Love you, Chris, and what you do for others. Uh, who is it from? Okay. Her name is, oh, I just, just, uh, Annette, Annette Haley. Annette yes, Annette. That's so great. I, I'm so proud of you. I mean, that's why I do what I do. That's it right there, right? It's like every time I hear a story of someone who has lived past their expiration date, right, who has survived and thrived by changing their life, it's just more uh, reinforcement to the message, right? And it's not, I mean, Annette may have learned it from me, but I didn't make it up, right? I, I'm just a messenger, all I've done is I've learned these things. I incorporated and incorporated them into my life, and then I'm sharing what I've learned. And so, uh, she she mentioned Square One, which is a program. It's a course that I created in 2017. That's a little bit more comprehensive and detailed than my book. It just is a step by step. Here's how to change your life to help your body heal to survive and thrive. And we just we the course just goes through everything from mindset, attitude, diet stress reduction, forgiveness, supplements, testing, exercise, sleep, all of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have cancer, but I, I took the course and it was fabulous. It was just so well done and it's very inspiring too. Thank you. I'm so, that just makes me so glad to hear that AJ. Yeah, and what, well, that's why after I saw it, I said, well, can I promote it? Like, and now we, we, when you have your, I think in August when you had it this year and we, we love to tell people about it. Cause it's, it's just, it's really, you're like, I mean, if you, if this, uh, whatever you call your job now doesn't work out, I'm telling you, you got a career as an actor and you are very, very good in front of the camera and you look like a, an actor. So what the heck? <laughs> well, Thank you. you. Thank you. I, yeah. If, and it's funny that you said that, whatever you call your job, because I don't even know what yeah, it's called. Same here. Like, I, I don't even know what I put on my income tax. I don't, I do so many things. I don't know what I, <laughs> so, I, I'm a professional me. I just, that's all I know. It's the only way I know how to describe it. Right. I'm patient advocate, survivor, author, speaker. Right. Yeah. yeah. All of that. I do all that stuff, you know, I got it. Um, I know what we'll call you professional inspirer. That <laughs> sounds good. You know, we had a breast cancer awareness month last month and I had Dr. Ron Weiss on and, you know, people, they walk for the cure, they run for the cure, but they don't eat for the cure. Yeah, that would be a much better uh, fundraising strategy, right? Eat for the cure, a much better message. If you really care about awareness, like what does awareness even mean, right? We're all aware. We all know breast cancer is a thing, Right. How, is are there people in the world that have never heard of breast cancer? What are we raising money for awareness about? But uh, but yeah, the reality is is these organizations, these huge cancer charities, uh, are really good at raising money, and they're really bad at actually helping people survive and thrive. Right? That they just mostly what they do is uh, pay their own salaries, and uh, they are huge bloated organizations that donate maybe 20% of the money they raise to cancer research, which sounds, okay, oh, they were giving some money to cancer research. What they're doing is they're giving money to the drug companies, free research money, 
to companies that are making billions and billions of dollars already and don't need free research money. So it's really kind of like the most perfect legal scam, right? It's you're giving, it's like giving a rich person money for groceries, you know, because they tell you they need it, but they don't like the drug companies have plenty of money to do cancer research. And they're like, this is the best thing ever. We just get all this free research money. And then they use it to develop drugs that they patent and sell back to you, <laughs> right? So I'm not a fan of cancer charities. I think they do almost no good whatsoever. Uh, it's all it's all pomp and circumstance. It's all for show. And, um, and they pay their ex executives these huge salaries. And so, um, you're, if you want to really do something good, uh, give money to a cancer patient, right? Give a cancer patient money because guess what? They need it for treatment, for rent, for groceries, for gas. Like you really want to help give some money to a cancer patient directly. Just put money in their hands. Don't give it to a charity. It's just going to get wasted. Yeah. I, I used to, this was long before I knew this stuff. We're talking over 20 years ago. And I, I, there was an organization that raised money for childhood cancer where you had to shave your head. It was called St. Baldrick's Day. I think they still do it. And I did that a couple of, a couple of times, but it was a long, long time ago. So I don't know if I would be doing that again. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to make anybody feel bad about giving to these charities because people who give are, are generous and wonderful. Like you're a generous, wonderful person if you give. Uh, but I, I want to encourage you to actually research and figure out where's where this money going? What is this money even doing, right? Who is this money helping? And the reality is it's in most cases, it's just helping the drug companies. Yeah. What about exercise, Chris? Is, is that important at all for either prevention of cancer or when somebody has it to keep it from coming back? Because we, we, we don't hear a lot about what in terms of, at Huge. least I haven't. Diet and exercise. It's the simple things that make the biggest impact. Exercise turns off cancer-promoting genes. Wow, that's huge. It switches them off. That's it amazing. I mean, yeah. that's a reason to exercise. Right. It also switches on anti-cancer genes. It also increases your circulation, improves your cardiovascular system. It also moves your lymphatic system and increases detoxification. And if you're sweating, you're sweating out heavy metals through your sweat. You're sweating out uh, like BPA uh, and, and toxic other toxic chemicals. So exercise is one of the best antidepressants. Biochemically, it, it literally makes you feel better. It makes you happier. So it, it is just <clears throat> incredibly underrated. People think they just that exercise is just about looking good on the beach, right? Uh, it's not right? It is, it is transforming your body, not just on the outside, but on the inside. So we encourage, uh, you know, cancer patients to exercise every day, six days a week, take a day off, take a day of rest. Six days a week, you need about 30 minutes a day of, of moderate to intense exercise. And it doesn't matter what kind, brisk walking is wonderful. If that's all you do is just brisk, briskly walk, terrific, power walk. Uh, but you can do yoga, Zumba, jazzercise, Pilates, rock climbing, CrossFit. You, you know, it doesn't matter, right? If you're moving your body, if you're sweating, if your heart's pumping, you're doing it right. 
Yep. I, I, I mean, I know when I, I do exercise, but I never think about that. That's just like another reason to do it. Like on days I don't want to do it. I'm like, yeah, but I'm preventing cancer. I'm turning off right. those genes. I don't think about that. And what about the, you know, you mentioned the recipe for beating cancer. And of course you have the wonderful book, which we hope people will get. And we're putting links in the chat and the show note, but the thinking component, the mental component, did you have stinking thinking when you were 26? Definitely. Oh yeah. I definitely had stinking thinking. I was, I was a, I was a, I was kind of a mess, you know, mentally and emotionally. I was insecure and prideful and 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 competitive and jealous and envious, and I had I was holding on to you know resentments toward people uh, from my past, you know. So I was harboring unforgiveness toward people in my past. I was resenting people in my present who I perceived as being uh, more successful or better looking or whatever, whatever, right? Anything that that they had that I didn't have, I would resent people for it. I wasn't happy for other people's success, right? Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, that's all negative stuff, right? All those negative thoughts produce negative emotions and negative emotions produce stress in your body. It's called distress. It's not the good kind of stress, it's the bad stress. And when you have stress in your mind, your emotions and your body, your body raises adrenaline and cortisol, your stress hormones, and those hormones suppress your immune system. So when you're going through life day in, day out in chronic stress, you will have a suppressed immune system. And this takes time. It's easy to change your diet. It's easy to start exercising, but it takes a little time and effort to really get a hold of your thoughts and to catch yourself thinking negatively and critically and cynically and being judgmental, right? And criticizing yourself, right? And thinking resentful on anger and bitter thoughts about people in your past and worrying about the future and about, oh, some virus or whatever, right? You have to catch yourself in those negative thoughts and interrupt them and make a decision to think differently. That takes practice. You know, they, now they call it mindfulness. It's being aware of your thoughts and then choosing to think differently. And again, bad thoughts are, are really just a bad habit, right? Negative thoughts are a bad habit. You can break a bad habit, right? Your thoughts are not you, right? So you can choose your thoughts. You can control your thoughts. And you can choose to think positively instead of negatively. You can choose to be optimistic instead of pessimistic, right? You can choose to be happy for someone who's been successful rather than be envious, right? But you have to choose. So that's that stuff I had to work on. I mean, it just, and it took time. And, you know, I'm on this journey for uh, almost 18 years now, right? So I still have to catch myself when I'm thinking negatively or cynically or whatever. And be like, you know what? I'm being negative right now. I mean, I'm being critical right now. I'm being judgmental right now. Like, I'm going to not be, <laughs> right? And the way I like to explain it is like, you know, if you bite your fingernails or if you pick your nose, right? It's a bad habit, right? And on the way to biting the fingernails or maybe right in the middle of biting the fingernails, you can pull your fingers out of your mouth, right? You can stop doing it. And that's the same with your thoughts. In the middle of thinking negatively, you can stop yourself. So that's something that I, I worked on and still work on every day. And then a big part of that process too, of just getting myself out of a state of stress and out of fight or flight and out of inflammation and immunosuppression 
is also forgiveness, right? And I made a decision to forgive every person who's ever hurt me. I know I talk about this every time you interview me. <laughs> I know, because that's the thing that I need to learn, Chris. Can you give us a crash course? How, I mean, I, 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 it's easy to forgive the people that haven't hurt me. <laughs> the one, there's just, I mean, I can't seem to let things go from like, I mean, some, you know, from years ago. And I yes. know it's, it's affecting me, not them. It's like saying, when you don't forgive people, it's like taking you taking poison and hoping the other person will die. Right. You're 100% correct. When you hold on to bitterness and resentment, you're holding on to pain, okay? You're holding on to pain. Now, people hurt you and they cause you pain, right? That's true, that happened. But when you hold on to the bitterness, you're holding on to the pain and you're you're keeping yourself in a prison of pain. And that's no good, right? Because that's only hurting you over time. And the longer you hold on to the pain, the longer you drink the poison, the worse you get. So one way to look at it, it's kind of like every time people hurt you, it's like they put a, a brick in your backpack, right? Right. Just think about all the things people have done to you, just bricks in the backpack, right? Well, over time, that thing's going to get heavy. That's going to weigh you down. And this is why when the expression, oh, this person's got a lot of what? Baggage, right? What is baggage? It's emotional pain. And how do you get rid of the bag? How do you get the bag off of you? How do you slip out of the backpack, right? And drop it on the ground and walk away from it. You do it with forgiveness. And so forgiveness is not a feeling because you're never going to feel like doing it because your pride doesn't want to forgive, right? And your sense of justice wants that person to get what they deserve and get punished and whatever, right? to feel guilty, to feel remorseful, to come crawling back and beg for forgiveness from you, right? That's, that's what you want. And that's normal to want that. But the reality is it may never happen. And so you have to forgive them to free yourself from the prison of pain. And the way you do it is you just make a decision to do it. So for me, I'm, I just, if I'm thinking about a person who, who wronged me, I just say, God, you know what they did? You know how I feel about it? I'm pissed off, right? I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm upset. They betrayed my trust, they abused me, they whatever they did. But I'm choosing to forgive them. I'm choosing to forgive them and I'm letting it go. And I'm giving it to you. They're all yours. Right? You can deal with them. I am not going to hold on to the anger and bitterness and resentment anymore and forgive me for holding on to it for so long, right? I, I'm confessing my sin, right? For holding on to this, I, that was wrong of me. And forgive me, and I'm asking you to bless them. So not only am I letting it go, I'm, you know, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So it's like, okay, all right, I, I will do that, bless them. And I, I hope you don't, but I'm asking you anyway. <laughs> Right, right. Like God knows your heart. Like He knows you want justice. Um, but when you say I forgive them and and God bless them, you are you're literally turning the key to the lock and letting yourself out of the prison of pain. Right. The the the, the keys on the inside of the door. And so once you just do that simple act, it's just you by yourself making that decision. Then a day later, a week later, a month later, when you think of that person or when you're reminded of them or whatever, 
and you feel a little bit of resentment, you feel that little twinge, that's when you have to catch yourself right in the moment and say, you know what? I forgave them, right? I'm sticking with my decision. I'm not going to let this resentment bubble up, right? And just say, I, I let God, God bless them, right? You just, I just do it all over again. I forgive them. God bless them. I'm just not going to, I'm not going to carry that weight anymore. I'm not going to pick it back up, right? I put it down. I'm not going to pick it back up. And so I know you talk about eating and healthy eating and diets and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I love to say forgiveness is like a healthy diet. It only works if you stick with it, right? You can't eat healthy for a week and be a healthy person. Like it doesn't work that way. It's like, yeah, you're a weekend. Great. You're on your way, but you got to stay with it. If you abandon healthy diet and go to McDonald's three days a week, you know, pretty soon your, your health's going to go the, the other way. Right. And so forgiveness is a decision for life. And if people keep hurting you, you keep forgiving and you exercise your forgiveness muscle and get, get really good at it. And I can't tell you, you just, when you get good at forgiveness, what happens is you just start to float through life instead of like trudging through, right? life with this huge heavy weight with all this baggage on you just trudging through all of the difficulties of life instead you're just quick to forgive and say god bless them you know people are mean to me on the internet all the time i'm sure they're mean to you too like anytime oh you get online oh my god i oh all the time my appearance especially how how it's yeah that, that, yeah it's terrible isn't it <laughs> yeah and so you understand this but yeah people are mean to me on the internet all the time and uh and I just, I just, if I see a mean comment, you know, I don't attack them back, right? Sometimes I'll respond. A lot of times I don't, you know, I'll, I'll respond if they're trying to argue and be mean. And I'll just, I'll try to uh, politely disagree. But I always just say, you know what, God, I, God bless them. I forgive them. You know, like this person doesn't know me really. And they're lashing out at me. I don't know anything about their life. You know, they're not my enemy, right? This person is not my enemy. Uh, they may think I'm theirs, but they're not mine and uh and god bless them and so otherwise man you just gonna you're gonna end up beat up battered cynical angry you, you you know we've all seen elderly people right uh, if you spend any time with elderly people there's two types <laughs> there's the happy ones and the unhappy ones right right and the the unhappy ones you can just tell they've just they've just gotten bitter and more bitter and bitter and bitter and angry and resentful, right? Over the course of their life, they've let all that baggage corrupt them because they weren't born that way, right? But they've left all the things in life, all the adversities and the troubles and the people that have wronged them. They've let all those things just turn them into a hard-hearted person. And then you've got the other type, which are, you know, generally carefree and happy. And those are people who have not it's not that those people haven't had adversity, of course they have, but they have chosen not to carry that baggage, right? Not to carry the anger and guilt and shame and resentment, right? They just, they've just chosen to forgive and let it go. And that is not a genetic advantage or defect or flaw or whatever. This is just, these are just your choices, right? So this is something that I, I you know, conscientiously work on. Believe me, I don't want people to hurt me. I don't like it. <laughs> right? I don't enjoy it. But one thing that I do take great comfort in is that I realized many years ago, I had an epiphany. And that's, you know, when people wrong you, they set you up for blessing. They're setting you up for blessing. 
there's a big blessing coming when people do you wrong. But you have to ex expect it, be looking for it, right? Because you might miss it. There's that great story about Joseph in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you know, the Torah. His brothers sold him into slavery. His own brothers sold him to be a slave. And then he ends up, he was such a good worker. He started, he's working for Potiphar. He gets promoted to being the chief of Potiphar's household. And then Potiphar's wife makes a pass at him and he resists. And then she, you know, uh, accuses him of trying to rape her. And then he gets thrown in jail. So it's like, man, this guy can't catch a break. And then in jail, he starts getting these vivid dreams and he's and, and people are uh, actually telling him their dreams and he's able to interpret their dreams. And then eventually he gets brought before the Pharaoh to interpret his dream and it and it comes true. And he is, a, is appointed to be the chief second in command over all of Egypt, <laughs> okay? Like, and think about that. If, he, if his brothers had not betrayed him and sold him into slavery, he would not have been on the path to become the second in command over all of Egypt. And then he used his power to save his whole family from famine. And when his father died, his brothers came to him begging for their lives because they were afraid, oh, now that our father's dead, he's going to kill us, right, for what we did to him. And they came begging for their lives to him. And he said, what you meant for evil God meant for good so that many lives could be saved. Isn't that beautiful? And he forgave his brothers, right? Because he saw the big picture that God worked it all out for his good. So like to me, that, that gives me so much incredible encouragement and hope and perspective. Like when people do me wrong, insult me, whatever they do, uh, I know God's going to work it for my good. And so it's just another reason it makes it easier for me to forgive. Wow. Thank you. I always feel like I'm a better person after having talked to you. <laughs> <laughs> Mission accomplished. Do, do you ever thought about being a minister? I mean, cause this is the kind of stuff I really need to hear. Cause you know, my lack of forgiveness of this certain person, it's not affecting them at all. And it really now isn't affecting me. So it's so interesting that I'm, I have been choosing to not let go of it. Have you ever read that book, Forgive to Live? No, I've heard of it. I'm seeking maybe having him on the show for another crash course in forgiveness. Do it. You know, it's just a decision. You know, you just got to swallow your pride and just be like, okay, okay, yeah. God, I forgive them. I'm letting it go. Right. It's like all the Frozen yours. song, let it go, let it go. Exactly. That's, like that's the Frozen the, song. Like, that's going to be my I'm letting it song. go, yeah. right? I'm just, I'm just not going to carry this pain, this resentment anymore. It's not worth it. And yeah, they wronged me, right? It, it doesn't change what they did doesn't make it okay. You don't have to be their friend, right? You don't have to kiss and make up. Like you don't have to see him or talk to him or anything, right. but it's really just between you and God. Like, okay, I'll let it go. All right. I'm you mentioned ministry. I mean, to me, this is a ministry. What I do is a ministry, right? It's not a formal like robe, <laughs> robed <laughs> ministry, right? but it, yeah, I, I definitely feel that, that it's a health ministry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, remember, what was his name? George Mal was it George Malcolmus? Yeah. That his name? He, he, it, it, Hallelujah Acres. He had colon cancer in reverse. Yeah. George was the guy that inspired me to change my life. George's story was the first one I heard about healing colon cancer with raw foods and juicing. And, and that one story, his story was the spark that, you know, ignited the flame of hope 
in my heart and gave me enough courage to an inspiration to change my own life. So I'm, I'm deeply grateful to George Malcolmus. Yeah. Yeah. Because he healed his colon cancer back in the 1970s and then decided to write some books and, and become, I think he calls himself a health minister or something like that. Yeah. I remember you saying that cancer is a divine tap on the shoulder. So we're all truly grateful to you. And uh, Donna says, as a 16 year ovarian cancer survivor, I agree with all that you are saying, Chris, I used to be involved with Relay for Life, trying to help others prevent what I went through. Now I do my best to help and support people in my own circle who are going through cancer. That's wonderful. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah. 16 years is fantastic. Yep. Uh, Jesse asked, well, Colleen asked, but Jesse typed it in. If somebody has endometrial cancer, but they don't need radiation or chemotherapy, should they follow a strict protocol like you did? Yes. Yes. Because A, if you have cancer, you should take your health seriously and, and make hardcore radical changes to your life because they will only help you. Right? The, everything that I talk about in my books, every single thing I talk about will only help, right? There's no risk of harm. There's only benefit, right? There's only benefit from eating more fruits and vegetables. There's only benefit from exercising to a, to a degree. Obviously, if you trip and fall, <laughs> there's, it could be danger, but you know what I'm getting at. There's only benefit to forgiveness, to detoxification, to stress reduction. There's only benefit. So if I'm doing anything well, hopefully it's helping you understand that your body can heal, right? And that you have the power to help yourself heal, that you don't have to just cross your fingers and sit around and hope you get better, that you can take action that empowers your body to heal by what you put in your body, when you put in your mouth, what you put on your skin, the way you think, the way you act. And so that is the message. Your choices matter, right? And so start making good choices each day. Make these small shifts to your daily routine. And those small changes add up to big change over time, right? Day by day. Think about putting a little money in the bank every day. Well, after a while, you got a big pile of money, right? And so making small improvements to your life every day, over a while, those little small improvements add up to a big result. We almost feel like your last book was about how to think, and now your current book is how to eat. It's true. Beat Cancer Daily is definitely a thinker, a uh, thinking, and some action. There's definitely specific action steps in there, but a lot of it is is definitely about the way you think, how to give your thought, your anxiety, worry, and fear to God, how to forgive people who've hurt you, how to choose positivity over negativity. Yeah, those are recurring themes in Beat Cancer Daily for sure. Because look, healing is a daily journey. Life is a daily journey. And so it's easy to get off track. And I wrote that book as just a, a, a daily devotional. It's like one page per day. Just It's just me saying, hey, here's something you can do today. Here's something you can think about today. Here's a reminder, right, that you have control over your life and you're not a victim, right, uh, today. So I love that book. It's, it's just a very special sort of um, from my heart uh, book. Whereas the, my first book, Beat Cancer, um, Chris Beat Cancer is my story and, and the specifics on what I did to heal. And uh, yeah, and the new, the new book is all about making good food. 
Yep. Well, you know, we have a new feature on Chef AJ Live called McDougal Mondays. Once a month, Dr. McDougal comes I've in. seen that. Says, yeah, Mandy says we need a new feature, Work Wednesday. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. So anytime you have, you are so welcome to come back. Where, Thank other you. than getting the new book, which we're encouraging everyone to do, where do you hang out most? Where do you like, work? if people want to follow you, if maybe they're not subscribed yet to your newsletter, which I am, but like, do you hang out mostly on Instagram or YouTube or Facebook? Where can people really get more of you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I have an email newsletter that I hope people will uh, join because that's the best way to stay in touch with me. I don't spend a whole lot of time on social media because I'm busy doing a lot of other things. And um, but I, I post on Facebook. There's a Chris Beat Cancer Facebook page. I do post on there. Uh, not even every day, but almost every day. <laughs> and I do post on Instagram. <clears throat> I don't mess around with Twitter, but those are the two platforms really that I, that I do share stuff on. And then, uh, but most of my, my, my most important stuff is going to be coming through my email newsletter at chrisbeatcancer.com. So jump over there and, and jump on the newsletter. And I've got tons of resources for you if you uh, are serious about prevention or if you're serious about healing. Great. Well, thank you so much for your work. You're just, you just, I just admire you so much and I really appreciate you, Chris. Well, I really appreciate you and admire you, AJ. You're great. I just Thank you. keep on trucking. Yeah. But you are welcome here anytime. It doesn't have to be Wednesday. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I hope I get to see you in person sometime soon. I know it's 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 that been a while. That would be terrific. Thanks so much, Chris. And everybody, check out the cookbook. It's going to be amazing. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back in 90 minutes when Thomas Allen from California Balsamic will be making lemon poppy seed muffins and roasted pear rice pudding and balsamic vinegar is okay for cancer right it's not a bad thing is balsamic's it balsamic's good yeah it's all right it's good. all right enjoy it just please don't take my balsamic away <laughs> <laughs> anything else but not my balsamic all right best uh, love to you chris thanks so much bye-bye